Um, yeah, you know, I, I know this is the first time that we get a chance to gather again, but you know, just as I was praying there, God just reminded me, took me back 10 years ago. Took me back to 2008 when he said, it's time to come on a walk. Just you and me. It's always a bit harrowing when you hear, let's go for a walk. And um, as you know, you know, he started showing me a whole lot of things that I had no reference for. But I never left because I was had a reference. I left because I heard his voice, come follow me. And obedience is the key to life in Christ. If we waver, yes, no, yes, no, yes, no, that's doubt. And the Bible says a man who doubts receives nothing. And so the quicker you respond in obedience to when he says come, the greater the opportunity you have of entering into the reason why he's saying you to come. And you know, there's words God gave me and I've shared them and you may not have been here when he shared them, but one of them was dismantling. I'm going to dismantle some of your thinking, Greg, because it's not mine. But I'm going to renew your mind because God never does anything for the purpose of bringing you down. Everything is for building you up. But when there are things that you've established in your mind that you think are him and they're not, they're actually holding you back because you have a false version of him, which is actually restricting you from life, but you don't know that. So he has to show you that, doesn't he? And I just sense, you know, we're on the curve as a family of another time of change. And, um, yeah, I don't know, it just, I know what the last seven weeks have been like for me. I've prophesied words that the Father gave me. So I know exactly what he's looking for. One of them, if you're unaware, was there's a whole lot of people stuck in a crowd and there's 22 people playing on the pitch. And I want the crowd on the pitch. God's tired of Christians in the crowd watching a game go by that they're supposed to be in. And he's going to do more of that here. You see, we're never designed to be participants. We are, sorry, we're never designed to be spectators. We are participants. And too often, it's about come along and watch and be comfortable behind something. And then you go. That was never the design. And the other one, as you know, was the Holy Spirit needs to be our teacher. It's prophetic. Jeremiah prophesied there is coming a time when you will not need a man to teach you because I am your teacher. Now that does not mean that we don't need people to help us in the process of discipleship. But they are not to be the first. Do you know how many first place positions there are in here? That God talks about. The first place. Blessed are the poor and what's the first commandment commission? Is it fellowship or function? You see, so often we're back to front. We're about function rather than fellowship. And yet fellowship determines function. And so the Holy Spirit wants to get hold of all of us. If he hasn't already. And you may be in this game. 
I found this promise. It was a prophetic promise. I'm in the prophetic promise daily. He's showing me manna from above. Isn't that what it says? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Give me this bread daily. Not just physical, spiritual. There is a wellspring to come into in you. Which then enables a demonstration. Which takes you from being a spectator Sorry, a, part, a participant to a spectator. Yeah, yeah, okay. You've got ears to hear, you'll hear what I'm saying. <laughs> it's all a test, see? <laughs> and I don't fully yet know what it's going to look like, but I signal to you now, change is on its way. Things cannot stay the same in you and how we do. So it's... Jesus said, I tell you in advance, so when it happens, you will believe. So I'm telling you in advance. <laughs> so when it happens, you're not found out. And I would urge you to share with everybody else who's part of this family in advance, so when it happens, they don't get found out, because God wants everyone to move as one people. And no one is to stay behind or leave because they're caught out. So he's telling us in advance. All right? For yours, bro. Yep. Somebody turn the lights on. Um, look, uh, last week, I, was, I know the Lord specifically spoke to me at that same booth. He said two things, but I'm only going to share one, and that was, behold, do you not perceive it? I am doing a new thing. The word new is completely new. It's brand new, like a baby. It's a brand new baby. It's something that's brand new. It's not an old building refurbished. It's a new building. So I'm not saying it's a, a building. It's new. Now, that new is maybe new to us. It's not new to him. The new, uh, he just, I knew he just spoke again, so write this down. It's the new is what was new 2000 years ago. It was what was new right at the beginning, and he's taking us back to the new. It'll be new for us to have it revealed, but it's the new thing that is found in him. Um, and uh, the um, the words that the Holy Spirit put in my heart just through the music is that you know, it's, I felt like I'm saying that actually it's time to come of age, you know. <laughs> and um, it was, you know it took me back to to Genesis, and it says, "For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh." And I feel like for, for us as a family, there's a, there's a coming of age that needs to happen where something that we were always predestined for actually takes place in full reality, you know. But for that to happen, there needs to be a leaving and a joining, you know. And I think that that's the mystery of marriage. It's the, but it's also the mystery of what God is, is looking 
to do in us, you know, that he's looking for us to leave our father and mother, everything natural, everything that um, that was old and be joined to him in fellowship and togetherness with him in a unity that we heard prophesied earlier that's of the spirit, eh? Um, and so what he's doing is so massive and profound and it's for all of us, eh? And for all of us to lay hold of with two hands and not let the opportunity pass us by, but like we've heard, to, to be active participants in what it is that God is looking to do in and through us as his body, eh? Hey? Alright, so this evening, firstly welcome, welcome everyone, it really is good to see you all, um, and I know that even though we've been apart physically, um, that God has been ministering to us and looking to form a greater spiritual togetherness and unity even through our distance, hey? Um, and tonight we thought it would be worthwhile just to almost take, strip things right back and almost go back to the beginning and say, actually, what, what is all of this about? What is God's ultimate first place purpose for us as a people? And it feels fitting, given that we haven't met for a while, to really revisit and to share vision and to dialogue about what God's primary intention is for us as his family, why it is that we gather, what it is that we're about. Um, and so that's what you're going to be hearing from the panel this evening. Um, if you've got your Bibles, you can turn to Romans chapter 8. Um, and we're going to be looking um, at, um, at verse uh, 29, and it says this. Oh, we're going to start, I'll just, I'll just share the 29 and then we'll go back. Um, it talks specifically, it says, For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of the Son, so that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And so as elders, when we met last week, we um, we did this, this same exercise and we whiteboarded and said, what, what is it that we're about? What why do we gather? What what are we about? What are we a part of? And this theme of being conformed to the image of the sun was what um, was coming through so strong for, for us as a group. Um, and, you know, this really is God's purpose for us as a family and as a community and as a body worldwide, that we would be conformed um, to the image of the sun. And now, in my Bible, there is literally thousands of pages of different things and different scriptures that you could pluck one here, there, and everywhere and, and create the most important thing. But actually, what the Spirit is bringing to light is God's predetermined, predestined plan for us from beginning of creation, that we would be conformed to His image, that we'd become like Him. And so we thought it'd be really worthwhile as a not just as a panel, but as a collective um, to look at that this evening. Is that cool? Did you have anything you want to share? Should we just jump into it? All right, so we'll read from verse 28, or from verse 26, and we'll go down to uh, verse 30. All right, verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps our weakness... For we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Holy Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. 
And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he called, he also, uh, sorry, and these whom he predestined, he also called, and these whom he called, he also justified, and then these whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us, how will he also not with him freely give us all things? Powerful passage, eh? And I think, like, like we were saying before, this is not a passage just, just to gloss over, but it holds for us such eternal weight, um, and a prophetic promise, um, that is for us as, as the body. Um, and so I've got a number of questions for, for the panel this evening and we'll work our way um, through the scripture um, and bring to light the reality that sits behind it. All right, we'll read all the way through to 39. Uh, starting at 33, who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one who condemns? Christ Jesus is he who died, yes, rather who was raised and who is at the right hand of God. Who will intercede for us? Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or the sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. All right, so we've got here question number one for our panel. What does it mean to be called according to his purpose? What is his purpose for us as a church of God? What does it mean to be called according to his purpose? Ultimately, it's to know why you were given life. And so, you know, so often in the body of Christ, you hear words like your dream, your purpose. And it can lead you astray into looking for something that's very singular and something that only involves you. And the deception within that is we get confused with words like purpose and works. So are there works for you to do or assignments to do as an individual, empowered and led by the Holy Spirit? Yes. Is that the calling of God for your life? No. So we have to be able to clearly see the difference between his calling 
and his works for a body and his works for you as an individual. And if you get that round all mixed around and think it's all one and the same thing, then you'll never actually discover the truth you were created to know, which is the reason why he gave you life. So you weren't given life just for the sake of you having life. You were given life to glorify him. That's why he created us for his own glory. So he has his purpose for why he created, because he's the creator we are not, correct? So we have to discover why he gave his life. What's the purpose behind his creation, which is us? And if we, unless we discover why he gave us life and then align our lives to that, we're going to be out of alignment to his purpose. And the problem is we've all been infected with this thing called sin. And Jesus had to come and release us from the nature and the power of sin so we could actually get free to discover the entire purpose of God for us as his church, not as an individual. Because the purpose of God for his church is his church, and you and I are not the church as individuals. We are a church as a corporate body. A body is the church. So his purpose starts for his church, which is not you as an individual. And so we have to make sure we're the right way round because we start back to front. Because we are inherently selfish looking for us and what's in it for us, don't we? It's called the give me first part of Christianity. And unfortunately, there are people still in the give me rather in the make me, which is channeling through the stages where you realize that actually it's about him. Have you realized it's about him yet? Really? You know, your life will tell you if it's about him or you. How much time do you spend looking at you and living for you? And how much time do you spend looking at him and living for him? So that'll tell you if you're the right way around yet. It's easy to say yes and live completely different, isn't it? And so God is very patient with us, isn't he? And so he keeps speaking and speaking in the hope that we, through revelation, would actually get an idea of his calling. So his calling is written down. It tells you very clearly so you can't miss it. Being conformed into his image. Through what? Your ability or his power, his living word, through his spirit. And this is why, see, when this hits you, you can no longer be a spectator. Because when you start getting conformed into his image, was he a spectator or a participant? He's the captain of the team. <laughs> See, are you to partake of Christ or spectate of Christ? You see, when you get conformed into his image because you understand his calling and how it happens, all of a sudden you start living off the seat and now you're getting into the game. Not because you're trying to, but the actual word in you because you start seeing catapults you and propels you into the game. You now have the ability or the power of God in you, not yours, but his, because you start getting revelation through the power you're receiving within you through the gospel. So to not know that is to live for something else, isn't it? And the challenge is you can be think you're living for his calling, but you're not because you can't see his calling. Which means you're not going to be getting prepared to be able to live as he lived. And this is the challenge that we face because it's like 
In a sports team, we practice so we can play. As a sports team, we don't turn up to practice and watch. That would be weird, wouldn't it? We come to practice. See? Well, is it any different here? If there is a definitive outcome that God has in mind for the church and how she's called to live and how she's called to participate, but she's watching, not practicing, then she's not in alignment to what she should be, so she'll never be able to do what she's called to do, correct? And so we have to know what his calling is because it's his idea. You are his idea. You did not dream yourself up. You did not choose to be born. He chose you. Your mum and dad didn't even choose you. He chose you. Where? In his son before the foundations of the earth. And so you fell out of that image though, didn't you, when you were born? Because you were born a sinner like me, were we not? But we started as sons, did we not? And so when we're being transformed into his image, we're going back to the original state that we were before the foundations of the earth in him. So by the time you finish your life, you were what you were at the start. And the middle part is essential to discovering this. Because you were not born physically in that, you were born in darkness. And so the purpose of God is to take those he foreknew you and I, that's what it says, eh? Take everyone that he foreknew, that he called before the foundation of the earth, that he predestined, so you've been predestined before the foundation of the earth to be conformed into his image, inside and out. The complete work that Paul said, I come to present the church complete, that by the time you get to your judgment seat and you are presented before Christ, you are what? Spotless and blameless. Ephesians 1, 4 and 5. See, well, you've got to know what he says more than what you see. Because this is describing everything I've said. I'm not pulling this out of thin air. I'm just speaking the living scriptures that are written down, that I know them. And so it's all connected to his calling. So he what? Justifies you? Anyone justify themselves here? If you did, come up here and I'll come and sit down and you can talk. And he's going to glorify you. And the middle part, he says, guess what that is, church? This is the sanctificational process where my spirit and you work out your salvation. And so if you're unaware of any of that, Especially if you think it's about function first. Because there's nothing functional about that. That is all fellowship of the Spirit, this entire passage. So really, before we can race off and start doing function, we need to be in fellowship. So the function comes out of fellowship, which means it's in an alignment to God. Not just what we think, because some guy told us we're supposed to go and do X. And so we are to be conformed. So... His purpose is to conform us into his very image, and he is the prototype of who we are to become. He's the firstborn of the brethren. He's our brother. And he says, I'm not ashamed of you to call you brother. 
How amazing is that? And he says, I will not hold your sin against you. Your past, present, future sin, I've already forgiven. I dealt with it because you were born in me before you even sinned. And I will speak to you as you are, how I see you, how you were in me before the foundation of the earth. So I will always address you from the promise. I will never point out your fault or your sin. But then I have to come into your present because it's your present that's holding you back from the promise of how I see you. Because the mindset that says, no, that's not true, is a lie. You tracking? So if you're in unbelief because you don't believe what he says about you because you're looking at you, not him, he's got to come and help you deal with your present because your present isn't as he says it. But he will not hold it against you. He wants to elevate you up. But there's an issue that needs to be broken. So you can actually get on board with his calling. And I think to me, like, this this passage in Romans 8, it starts with their, um, you know, that there's no condemnation for those in Christ. And straight after this passage, it talks about, you know, who will condemn them, you know? And I think what you're saying is, is so massive, you know, because if you see who who we were called, uh, chosen to be from the beginning and who God has predestined us to be at the end, then then all of a sudden our repentance becomes about who God has called us to be and that you're re- you're being realigned in your heart and your in your mind and your attitude towards who God sees sees that you are and says that you are as opposed to dragging you back down in condemnation to who you were never supposed to be you know um, it's forward looking it, it creates life you know as opposed to um, um, to creating death hey? So what about for others? What is this? We, we talked about um, called according to his purpose. Um, I couldn't get away from just even the two words, his purpose. And um, I think uh, the, the, the very first thing is we exist for his purpose. And um, it's not just that we exist for his purpose, but how we exist is important because we are now of a new life with a new breath, a new source, a new new life uh, that is all found in the son, the firstborn. And so it's not just that we exist. It's more than existing. It's the way we exist. Um, and, and I, I, you know, again, it's like he just reminded me that, you know, his purpose is so beyond um, uh, what we can even comprehend. You know, that the only spectators there should be should be spectating the church is the heavenly realm, the powers and principalities, the angels, the forerunners, the faith fathers who, who all ran this course um, knowing that the panoramic purpose of God from the beginning of time, which we're all, our existence is actually for an essential time, for a certain stage of his purpose being un- unfolded, but the heavenlies are actually watching us. Angels are looking in, straining their necks, <laughs> looking in. And, you know, that word looking in is like they're gazing, intentionally watching. So as participants, we're not to be spectators. We have spectators watching, witnessing, and we are actually a spectacle on 
on the playing field in the theater of God where all the powers and principalities are watching to see if we are going to come into the full purpose of the Father. That the Father with such great intention, with such great pleasure, chose us, predestined us, marked us to become like his son, not only just for our own sake, but to really demonstrate something to the cosmos, that we are the the body present on the earth, the body of the cosmic Christ. So it's, it's, it's a life that is so beyond our little way of thinking. And the purpose is if when we know his story and we enter into his history, his lineage, his bloodline, and when I say his bloodline, I mean the blood of Christ that covers us, the lineage of faith, Abraham's children. It's, it's, that's, that's why we exist. That's why we have breath. And I got this picture just in worship as we were talking, as we were sort of prophesying, um, of, you know, the difference between hospital and home. And, you know, we're not made for the hospital as believers. We, we are not to be, tended to or cared for by anything else or by any other source. We are not to live from um, ventilators. They're not our source of breath. We have a new breath. We have a new source. Uh, we're not made for the, you know, to, to find our rest in bed. Our rest is in him. We, we are not to be sick in heart. Now, look, I've got nothing wrong with sickness. My mama is sick at the moment, but she's not sick in heart. There's a difference that he's calling us into, and it's a, it's a health of the firstborn son, the wholeness of the firstborn son. Um, and, yeah, his, uh, his purpose is, is everything. And I think, you know, lying in, in, a, in a hospital bed, as believers, we shouldn't be hopeless. We should have hope. And it says the heart that's deferred is sick. We're not sick because we have hope, um, and and God's not delaying anything. We're, we we can trust Him on His timing to bring us into the full age, as you were saying. Um, and so there's a lot happening beyond what we see, and that's I think what I'm hearing Greg say. You know, it's not not to be directed by what we're seeing. We're in a you know a pandemic, but the real I, pandemic I think within the church is not knowing her identity and her purpose. And we, we, you know, we're going to be opened up to that panoramic view of his purpose that we're literally in a time of him unfolding the greatest story of all time. Who's responsible for bringing what I and Mel have said to you? This Holy Spirit, okay? So do you know him? Because he's the one that will teach you what you've just heard, the reality of what you've heard in you. Hence the word I gave before lockdown, I want to be your teacher. So you have to carve out time for the greatest person that created you. The fact that you think you've got to carve it out, it's like probably indicative of where things are. So he wants to teach you what you just heard because you cannot get what you heard through just listening to your natural. <clears throat> Sounds amazing, eh? But nothing will change. So he is the one that God has given the church to teach the church, not man. So you need to spend time, carving out time, 
and say, Holy Spirit, bring this to light in my heart. Um, and just as you're sharing, Mel, you know, it says um, God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. You know, and you're sharing, you know, you can be sick in bed but not be sick on the inside. But if all of this is about our purpose, then we're on a pretty fast track to being disappointed in God because imagine if the, the scripture said God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God and to who, and to those who are, who have their own calling and purpose, you know, all of all of a sudden, these, you know, like this this verse takes on an entirely new meaning. That it's not saying that God is going to make every single situation in your life good. No, He's saying that He works all things for good to those who are called according to His purpose. You know, that even in your darkest day. His purpose still remains the, at, at the forefront of your heart and in your mind, you know, because all of a sudden you're not living for your comfort anymore. You're living to be conformed to his image, you know, and no earthly situation can take you away from what it is that he's looking to do and to minister inside of you, you know. So these verses then are now not just about having a better life. They're about your transformation, and it's something that no one, no person, no situation can take that away from you, you know, because um, it's an eternal work that's ministered by His Spirit. Eh? So. And I think, yeah, you know, when you read that, do you guys see conditions? Hey? Do you see it's conditional? So He says, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who, and there's two conditions. <laughs> See, that's important, isn't it? Because, you know, you, you get the justified state for nothing. Okay? And then it's about obedience to the conditions of the architectural design that God has already put in place because there's a blueprint. So if you don't know the blueprint and follow the blueprint, then you don't get the fruit of the blueprint because it's conditional now. It's like in my house, okay? You can't just come into my house and do what you want. There are conditions to our home that you come into our home and you are, you're obedient. You come under our culture of our home. So our children just can't do whatever they want. There is conditions. And so when we come into, it's free to come into our home. Come on in. Sit down. No, the telly doesn't go on because that's not part of the Simnor culture. You hear what I'm saying? God is exactly the same, isn't he? So when we commit our lives, everything becomes conditional on his truth. So we have to surrender to the conditions, whatever you want to call it, the Torah, the instruction of God. Otherwise, we're out of design, never realizing God's design for us. Ultimately, trying to create life through our own version of God because we don't like his version. And so it's based on two conditions. And it's funny how the first one is love. And that's not our love, human love. That's his love imparted in us because we died. We've been deposited his love within us, 1 Corinthians 13. So now we love God with his love. See, now I'm connected with God. I'm in oneness with God because his love is in me. It's not my 
self-centered love. It's not my conditional love. It's his love in me, loving him back. And I'm being awakened to a reality called his eternal purpose, which is now. So he's working all things for the good for those people who love him and are called according to his purpose, which is to be the church. But that doesn't mean the church flows and operates in those conditions, does it? Because you can live for you. That doesn't mean God's not loving you, but it's you loving God. When I... um, You're on. We go. Yeah. When, when Sam sent these questions out in these uh, verses, they, they were the first two things that crop, cropped up as I read through it. It says, well, there are two conditions. So they set two questions. And you know, the, the more I read this now, the more I see how, how Paul writes, and it seems to sort of build to this amazing crescendo each time, and each, each thing that's building is in itself a crescendo, and it's like, wow, this is amazing. And you know, um, chapter 8 starts off with, therefore, Whenever there's a therefore, you've got to figure out what it is there for. It's for the bit that goes beforehand. So if we start to look through this this picture that's being built up that's so rich in these verses that Sam's just read out and get mixed up in how these things are outworking within our lives, this gap a little bit. Whenever I look at buying a new Bible and checking out the different... Um, Versions, I'd always pick up and look, I'd open up and read Romans, end of Romans 7 and into 8 and just read how it's written there because it's probably for me it'd been the most confusing thing. I do what I don't want to do and when I do, don't do what I do want to do, I don't even know what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you know? How are you supposed to make any sense of that? Well, surely a good translation will tell me, you know? And so I'd be looking at that and it's only through the reading of this I'm realizing what a numbskull. That's the whole thing he's actually writing. And when you look through into 8, um, 27, it says, and he who searches our hearts. The issue is not found in the mind trying to figure this out. It's found in the heart. Where he says you're going to now be confronted with these things of life. Where, where you're wrestling with what God is actually doing in my life. This is what a wretched man am I. Who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's him. Therefore now there is no condemnation because I'm stuck in this environment that's causing this turmoil in my head as I'm trying to figure this out in my head. There's your problem. That he says, I've covered you. There is one. Don't join forces with him who's poking at you and stands as an accuser of the brethren before the father and says, no good. Why would I want to join his words? Now put my words above God's words where Jesus stands before the Father, interceding for the saints, saying, covered by my blood, taken from darkness and now brought into light. Yeah, I'm at work within my brother. I'm transforming his mind doing a work within him, conforming him into my image. He's covered. So the accuser is silenced because of the covering that rests over me. Why would I want to join my word and put my word above Christ's word, above God's word over my life? I need something that's going to trump that. And Paul's saying it's 
praise God, it is Jesus Christ who now goes to work, and the Holy Spirit who works within me, who, God who knows the mind, because the Spirit is interceding with groans and utterings before God at work within me. My part is to, what's the first work? Believe. I mean, I, man, I, I started romping all through the Bible as this is just rich and pulling out different scriptures talking about those who believe, believe those who are blinded by the God of this age because they did not believe. Now God is wanting to open the eyes of our heart. That's why Paul keeps praying that the eyes of our hearts are open so that we can see what he is doing in this conforming work within me so that I become this, a partaker of the divine nature. Will I allow him to do the work and draw aside? Eat of him, be found in him. And this love, it was the first one. Do, will I, am I one who is found who loves him? And as we've heard so many times here, what is that love? Where's that love, the love for God found? Where's the first place? He says, love me. In Deuteronomy, he says, with what? All. So I'm forced to ask the question of myself, do I love you with all of my heart, all of my strength, all of my mind? Because this verse, what was going to happen it's conditional if I'm going to give you all of me. And then walk in accordance with what he is doing according to his call that I now make sense of some of the awful things that I've walked through knowing that this is for my good because there's a conforming into the image of Christ, one who walks in the same manner as God. Love, which as Greg said, you know, you have a look at 1 Corinthians 13, to see how that is expressed out. This is what he is doing in me. I won't resist it, but allow him to do that work within me. And I think it's massive, you know, like in verse 31, it says, what, what then shall we say about these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will we not also with him freely give us all things? You know, and it, it compares what, what you're saying. You know, if, if God is so rich in mercy that he wouldn't even, um, hold on to his own son, but sacrifice him for us, that should be a, a stake in the ground that that shows if, if God is able to do all of that for us, how much more will he also give us all things, you know? If he's justified us, how much more faithful is he to do the sanctifying work within us, this conforming work, this transforming work, bringing us into, um, you know, the, the full measure of stature in Christ, hey? Um, all right, should we move on to question number two? What does Paul mean when he says that God foreknew Um, it says, uh, and we know that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. In verse 29, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed according to the image of the Son. What does it mean for when, when God says that he foreknew us? 
Um, that, well, yeah, that we were firstly known in Christ and the original oneness relationship with him, that that's how he knew us, in right relationship with him, in sweet harmony with him, in unity with him, communing with him, in the day, in the call of the day. Um, and that's that's the closest knowing we can have with the Father. Um, and so him for knowing those and it's it's a it's a bit of an interesting thing because I think it's um, it's this harmony of divine sovereignty of God and then also human choice and yeah it's it's like he already knows the choices that we are going to make but he has he has predetermined and he's made a way anyway so not even knowing what people will choose, whether they choose Christ or not, to believe or not, he still sent his son to die for everyone so that all would know his love and that all would know his goodness. And and yet he's, there's still that free choice of of what will be determined, yet his heart is for all and he foreknew all hidden in Christ. And I love it in Colossians, it says, you know, when Christ appears, when he appears, then we will appear. And so at, at who we truly are, you know, who we were destined to be, who we were from the beginning, we will be restored back to that. Um, and, and that's a, a beautiful knowing uh, and oneness. Uh, yeah. I think Paul says it in Galatians 1.15. <clears throat> he says, but when God who had set me apart even from my mother's womb. So you were chosen in him before you ever existed. But you're in him, the son. The challenge is that means you're concealed because he's concealed. And you have to discover who you actually really are. Okay? Because... When Greg Simnel popped out in 1969 to Lillian Allen Simnel, I was made in the image of who? Yeah, but who were they made in the image of? Adam, which is a fallen image, is it not? But actually that's not what this says. This tells, it does, is what it says, but it tells me before that I was actually in Christ. So I'm, I've actually fallen out of who I really am. And I've got to discover who I am, but it's concealed from me because it's in this guy called Jesus Christ who's also concealed from me. So I lived 29 years as Greg Simnor, but not the person in Jesus Christ because I was concealed from Jesus Christ and God. And I got to the point in my life where through trying to live as Greg Simnor, which is a counterfeit of the real thing, I broke. Then I was made aware through the concealed Christ being revealed in me to start discovering who I was before the foundations of the earth. Now, if we caught that through revelation, I'm telling you right now, every spirit of rejection and identity issues in the body of Christ would be healed like that. 
because you discovered you're not an orphan. And if you've been rejected by your mum and dad, it doesn't matter anymore because they are not your parents. And you actually discover before any of it began, I was. And so that's what it means to be in him before is that you were predestined, you were chosen. God saw you, thought you out. He saw the hairs on your head. He knew your life. He knew when he was going to put you in history. He's known everything about you. He knows you better than you know you, and he's asking you to discover who you are in him. And what would it look like if you discover who you really are in him the day you get born again? So I've been walking with the Lord 22 years. What would my life have looked like when I get born again if I knew who I really was in him before the foundations of the earth? That's pretty trippy, isn't it? But you know that can happen because the Holy Spirit wants to bring to light all the mysteries and that's a mystery in the kingdom. So it's about discovering who you really are before you were born. Because so much of our identity gets shaped through other people. Your mum and dad. Well, if they weren't great mums and dads, if they smashed you down and beat you down, then you'd probably have poor self-esteem. But that's not who you are, see? Who you are is who you were before the foundations of the earth because you have a father who loves you, who will never reject you, has accepted you before you ever sinned. Don't get me started, I'll really take off. Before you even sinned. So you were born as a son, not a sinner. But we've made it all about your sin, not your sonship. We've made it all about your problem, not the promise. Why? Because we can't see. So what we read through our lens, we start preaching, we make it about sin. Greg, are you saying it's not about sin? No. It's just not the place you start. Which means God, you know, we talk about, it. it this transforms how you even see him. Because this big angry God that hates you and your sin with a big stick who beats sin doesn't actually exist. You're looking at the wrong God that I know. I look at a God who said, before you were son, I chose you to be mine. And I'm the God of love. Uh, I'm learning to hold. Um, <laughs> and you know, I feel like I've heard quite a number, quite a number of times. You know, I, I'm struggling to understand, you know, like God as a father because my dad wasn't a good example of of what a father is. You know, and that what what I hear being described is actually on a completely different playing field to that. You know, that in trying to understand who God is by looking to man as as an example of what fatherhood looks like will always leave you short, you know? That actually the only thing that can bring to light who the father is, like we've heard, is by the Holy Spirit, you know? And maybe when the Holy Spirit reveals who the father is and you receive what the the scriptures say is the spirit of sonship that enters inside of you, you get a completely different perspective on natural fa- your natural father and your natural family um, on any earthly thing. Eh? So it's, it's a completely different way around. You don't need to have had demonstrated a good earthly father to know by revelation the heart of who your heavenly father is um, because, like we said, we've been predestined to become sons and to know our father who was our father before we even had a, a natural mum or a natural dad. Eh? 
Um, yeah, see, this whole word of image. So we are, the, the natural man takes his leading from what he looks at. Now when I say man, I mean man, woman. Okay, So the natural human being takes their leading from what they look at and formulate an image through what they see. So I'll use that example. If, you, if, you're, if your father, your mother or father, because of their own issues, weren't able to provide an environment for you of love, which edified you and lifted you up and created a sense of confidence and self-assurance, then your imagery of what you're looking at messes you up. Because you're taking your image from what you're looking at. Okay? Now God warned the Israelites and he said, because you can't see my face, you need to hear my word. Because I'm not a bush. Okay, So God spoke out of a bush. But God's not a bush. So if you think God's a bush because what you're looking at, well, God's back of a bush, you've now made God in a false image. Because it's what you look at. And this is what the natural does. The spiritual hears first. So it's essential we actually get our imagery of who we are and who God is from how we hear, not what we look at. And this is the challenge because this is why we put people up on pedestals and we put them higher than what they should be because they look important, they look impressive, they certainly sound impressive, they look like they got it all together, but they may or may not. So the challenge is God says, Israelites, church, I warn you, do not make a God in your graven image because you can't hear my voice. So you're taking your leading from what you're looking at. So you might think the church is all about coming to it because that's what you watch everybody do. You watch everybody go to a building, sing songs, so the church is a building. Because your imagery is telling you what it is, not what you're hearing from the eternal word. Hence, what you see, what he says better be greater than what you're looking at and that your reality within you of him as an image and who you are being formed into better come from what you're hearing, not what you're looking at. Because it's so easy to look, oh, that's what it is. Oh, and see, this is how you get copycat, isn't it? If you ever start looking like me, sounded like me, I will come and hit you with this. There's only one of me. <laughs> you can have my dodgy knees if you want it, but you are unique individual, but we are all of the same spirit. And so you need to be who you are, but conformed into the image of the Spirit through you. So the Spirit in you comes out of you, and it's the same Spirit come out of Sam, Mel, and me. So you get the same spiritual image, but we are looking very different. Thank the Lord. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I was going to say, you know, you'll read in Genesis that um, it says... Um, let us make man in our image, you know, that even in the Trinity, they demonstrate this oneness amongst themselves. You know, you've got the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, three very distinct persons, but actually they say one image in our image, you know, and I think that image all of a sudden can't be a physical image. It can't be that you know, we've got the animals 
who have a uh, inferior level of intelligence, and then you've got the human beings who God said, let them create, let, let me create human beings in my image, and they're just that much more intelligent, that much more capable. They're therefore a reflection of me, you know. Actually, when you see let us make man in our image, he's not talking about that at all. The image he's talking about is the divine nature, not the physical attributes, you know. And so all of a sudden, who we're being predestined to be to be formed into this image is it's about becoming like him in what like we've heard about over the last year in DNA and nature and character and thinking and heartbeat and a oneness that really is genuine unity of the spirit, eh? So. I think that's what oh sorry, Paul, did you want to go quick? Verse um, 29 says, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. And it's it's this picture of the Son standing first in humanity and the picture of how all of our lives should be shaped and fit, made fits, made, and Colossians says, we are qualified, fits, to be as the son, but I love how it says of the brethren. And that word brethren talks about brothers and sisters of the same parents. Same parents. So this image is not one of what's being carved out and of a shallow representation, but it's of the same inner essence. And that brings it back to, you know, we could have our humanly father or mother or whatever as as outside images of and, and try create God as that, but but when you're born again, <laughs> it's the inner essence you've received speaks better things, speaks of a better um, of better things, as it says in Genesis, you know. And it's it, it's it's that essence that gives you sight and ears to hear the Father, the true Father, the heavenly Father, the one that made us in the beginning, in His image, and we we return to that. You know, I was thinking um, when. When I was born again, that that night that that I knew had had come in into my heart, I remember looking in the mirror and literally looking at myself, going, "Oh my goodness, I'm different. I'm different." And it's the same same reflection, but now I'm mirroring a different person, and it's it's it is it's an innate change. And you know, I was thinking when it says, you know, we've been marked by Christ, and Paul talks about you know, the marks that he received. And that can be like a branding, you know, um, or going through the things that Christ went through. But, you know, I think, again, it's speaking of something different. When it says we are marked by Christ, you know, Christ laying his life down and being crucified, he was marked, you know, he had he had the marks. And Thomas wanted to touch those. And, and, and for me, I look at that and I go, Thomas was looking to participate. And, yes, he needed a physical... But I, I see a heart that was looking to participate in this this reflection of a recovered, renewed, firstborn son. And this son speaking to him as you, and he calls him Thomas the twin. You are my twin. And what he's doing is he's now balancing the scales. You've been justified, which means your weight is my weight. And to live worthy of this life in Christ by receiving me, you your life needs to show that it's of the same weight, the same kind, the same essence of the same Father. 
Um, and so brethren, fellowship, it all takes on such a whole new family life and yeah, being conformed into the sun is such a innate. Which is to go from what to what? Glory to glory. Is that what you're going to say? Unagi? Mm-hmm. <laughs> no. Behold, as in a mirror, the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord the Spirit. So ministers of a new covenant, we're ministers of a new glory, which is to be in us. And the glory in us, we're being radiated into the image from one measure to another to another to another because we've gone from an old glory to a new glory. So how how bright are we? The light of the world, the radiance, the glory, the light, the image. When people see you, do they see the Christ coming out of you? Do you emanate light? We've had new lights put in, thanks Luke and his team. And so there's more light in the room. But we live in a world that's dark. And light shines in the darkness, but the darkness doesn't recognize the light. Mm. But light recognizes light. And sometimes darkness runs to the light because it wants to be light. That's right. I mean, thank you for what you're saying before about the, about the um, twins and, and, and what have you. And the, the, it's something that I've always sort of... It's oh, odd, Lord, because it, it emphasizes that you know um, Thomas Didymus, the twin. My, my middle name is Thomas, and I'm going, what is that? <laughs> you know, whisper in your ear, Greg. Come closer. Right? <laughs> um, that that why emphasize that, Lord? It's I I just don't get it. And right then, boom, right inside, yes, that that marked. By Christ, having now received him, become a partaker of the divine nature of God that now becomes as his twin. And this whole thing that, because it was where I was leading to with the, um, Jesus would be the first of many brothers. And we look in the physical and we see, you know, I, I uh, have two brothers, one still alive. So we're, we're brothers, but we're quite different. Um, very similar in looks. But very different in nature. And yet the, the similitude that we have now in Christ is that is of the same divine nature that is formed within us. And this amazing opportunity that we have now to, to walk this walk that we have with the eyes to see this is about God and what He's doing, not about me. And that we're recipients of his divine love. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So before my heart was transformed and changed and a new heart was given to me, I'm of the world in darkness. Second Corinthians 4 talks about, you know, there's a, um, he said, let the light shine in the darkness. And it speaks originally of, um, creation. But now he speaks directly to our heart because our heart is in this dark place. It's not of him. It's separate from him. But then he says now and draws that same 
uh, analogy or the same word that's prophetically prophetically speaks, now let the light shine in here. And so how great is this light that now has come in that I'm now a recipient of his love? And how great is this light that is now in me and growing? And I love it because these are all the um, scriptures that he led led me to. That we've taken in the sense that in the world there was a glory that was given through the law, which Romans 7, 8 start to talk about, that the law was given to try and protect and hold us for a greater time that's coming. And this is why the angels are looking into this going, what? Look at that mess. Yes, but this mess is about God's heart being revealed and God being revealed, the manifold wisdom of God being declared into the heavenly realms. Look what I, look who I am. John 1 tells us that God is love. John 3.16, I mean, 16 through to the end of that um, chapter 3 is powerful. It talks about God is love. God so loved the world that gave his only forgotten son, so heaven should believe on him, would have eternal life and not perish. He hasn't come to condemn the world. I've come to save it. It already stands condemned. I've come to save you. Why? That I can show you who I am through you and in you. This is amazing. So that then um, John chapter 3 onward goes on about those who believe. That's why he calls us to believe that he stepped into this, into this world. Spotless, without wrinkle. Who's to be spotless and without wrinkle? We are, that's how he makes us. And so now I become a recipient of what he started way before I even existed and receive what he's done for me and now believe and walk accordingly. That's huge. And that he, that I love that. The twin transformed to his nature as an ongoing walk that from this glory, which now a new thing, uh, I'm, behold, I'm doing a new thing. It's a new covenant, Christ, the hope of glory, not around you, in you. And there's a power, the very same power that raised Jesus Christ from dead. It's the very same power that's at work within me, and it's that spirit that is doing the work of transforming my mind, renewing my mind, the new heart where his word, his revealed word, written on my heart and in my mind. And it's that that starts to change me and I take on, partaker of the divine nature. And that, um, you know, being engraved in the mind and the heart, you know, I didn't actually finish what I was saying about the mark. <laughs> Typical. The, um, that, you know, the, the, the marking of the brethren is, is the crucif- being crucified to the dead nature and coming alive to the new and it's, you know, it's, it's going through what Christ went through, fellowshipping with him in his suffering and his glory. That's, that's the brethren, you know, being marked in the heart and the mind, the obedience, the loyalty to, to fellowship closely with Christ. Do we have any questions, um, so far? Yeah, from glory to glory, like we've just heard, you know, absolutely. I think 
as this is happening within you, you'll naturally press on. Okay, so it's not you trying. As this work of the Spirit is what we're describing, as you're being conformed into his image, the innate response is that you will move because out of you will come <clears throat> the life. So it's that thing. It's, it's, it's so innate. It's like you breathe. No one thinks to breathe. You just breathe naturally. So as the Spirit of God is engraving the spiritual word on your heart, and the Spirit is renewing your mind, you will naturally walk in the manner in which Jesus walks. So you don't try to press on, you just do. This is how real it is, guys. This is how real it is. So we have to come into the reality of the true gospel, not try to figure it out through our mind, and then try to copy that. See, that's where you get burnt out, tired. It's like, why isn't this working? Because the source is still you. There has to be the death of the source called your will. And it's about getting dead, not decreasing, dead. And then the spirit is allowed to go to work and starts to renew the reality because he's literally taking the engraving. So God, with his finger, his power, engraved his word on two tablets of stone, correct? And on that stone was what? Yell it out. Yeah, but what was on the stone? Yeah, yeah, but what came off of the commandments? Glory. So Abraham was not, the glory was not in Abraham. Abraham held on to the commandments and his face shone. So the glory that was on two tablets of stone made the man's face shine. But it wasn't in Moses, was it? Okay, fast forward. If the finger of God through the power of the Holy Spirit starts to engrave his spiritual word on your heart, what are you going to radiate? Glory. So the more he's going to work through the power of his spirit, the more you radiate his glory. Because we are ministers of the new covenant, which is the covenant of glory, which never fades. So it's only going from glory to glory. In the Old Testament, the glory faded. In the New Testament, there is no backward, it's forward. Okay, So we're to be ministers who have the glory of the Lord continuously engraved on our hearts, so we're made into the image, which means we're able to live exactly like Jesus Christ. Exactly. Now, does that happen overnight? No. This is the process of growing up in Christ into maturity under the authority and the way of heaven. But if you've been walking with the Lord for 10 years, you should see significant growth in your ability because you've had 10 years to get in Christ. 20, 30, 40, okay? And the challenge is if we've only been raised with Christianity but not in Christ, then we can have no spiritual life even though we've been in Christ for 20 years. Tracking? So we have to make sure that we're in the way of Christ, in Christ, so we receive the glory, so we are actually being conformed into his image because then the outcome of this is we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. What do we overwhelmingly conquer? Ah, let me tell you, tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, nakedness, peril, or sword. That sounds like Jesus. 
And he's my brother. And he's a prototype of who I'm to be. So I must be in process of being transformed, conformed into that reality if I'm going to live that out, correct? Which means this is more than turning up to building, singing songs, running around, giving money, is it not? Because just because we come to a building doesn't mean we're in this process, correct? And this is the challenge, and this is what God is going to stir up big time again and say to us, are you in my process? Are you in my way? Because if you're in my way, you will have my truth. And if you're in my truth, you're going to have my life. And the Father and me are one. So it's not a process to God. Jesus is saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father, and you're to be one with us. That's pretty cool. And we're to be conformed in a greater dynamic of maturing to oneness, so then we actually are Christ-like. We are a kind of Christ who can what? Live and walk in the manner of Christ, which is 1 John 2, 6. Because you've been and are being conformed into his image. So you are it, you must become it, so at the end of your life, you're the completion of it. And we do it together. Yay. And we need all the gifts that God has given in an alignment to the Spirit. So we must understand what's on every person. And we must submit to what's on every person because God has given it for the body to see the body built. And it's conditional based on those things. So we don't have a say. Nobody gets a say. He's had the say. He has the final word and his word goes. Our role is to submit to it all. And that is where it is won or lost. Isn't it? (laughs) Trina's going. (laughs) Because we are as a body what we are as individuals. We are as individuals what we are as a body. So if this half of the room go, we're up for being conformed into the image of God, we're on. And this half, including me, go, no, we're not. Then we are not one body. We are a divided body. We are all of the same people, but we are not all of the same image because these guys are becoming conformed into the image of Christ and we are staying as we already have always been, which is our own image, but we have his spirit in us. That's not one, is it? Because they're maturing and we're not. They want to share with us, but we don't have a facility and a capacity to hear or understand it, so we think that's boring because we've got no teeth to eat what they're eating. You see the dynamics? This is what God is doing. He's building a house that is one spirit, one mind, one love, intent on one purpose. Do you know what that purpose is? Being conformed into his image. So we're either on board with that or we're not. And he's going, let's get on board, man, because this church walks in the manner in which I walk. This church releases the manifold wisdom of God into the earth. We have been placed in history together. Whether you love me or not, whether you like me or not, you've got to get over it because we've all been placed here for a very specific purpose, his purpose, his will, to be conformed to his image so we can glorify his name. Which means I've got to lose my old life completely and no longer have dreams for me. My dream is his will. My purpose is his will. If he gives me side things, great, but that's not what I'm going after. I want to fulfill my father's will. I want to be like my brother. I want to be like my groom who said, I'm only here to do the will of my father. Mm. He never said, what's my will for my life? 
He said, what is your will, Father? I'm here to establish it, and I lay my life down for it, and I never pick it up again. And there's nothing more satisfying. Amen. It's where you find who you've been predestined to be before the foundations of the earth. You've connected with who you really are and the life he had for you because you lost your old life. Mm. <laughs> it's pretty trippy, eh? <laughs> and it, you know, it's, it's, sometimes we'll just hear this. We've been conformed into the image of Christ or into Jesus, yeah? So whose image is Jesus in? He said, you've seen me, who have you seen? So if I'm being formed into the image of Jesus, who am I being formed into? All right. No last minute, really burning, significant, important questions. I just want to add one last thing about, you know, Christ making, making Christ home. Um, a few weeks ago, we, uh, as a family, we celebrated Passover and, um, how we did that, we just sort of told the girls that we had a special guest coming over and they had to dress up and we were going to get the house cleaned and that's what we did and, um, as the day led on, we, we laid the table, we put food out for our guests. Now, of course, this is lockdown, you're not meant to have any guests. Um, so the girls were sort of like, oh, this is a bit naughty, you know, but we said, look, this guest is really special. And um, the night before, Kirk and I pre-recorded um, some answers to some questions that the girls were going to ask this guest, and we set up the speaker at this chair that sat no one there, <laughs> and put a speaker out in the uh, the uh, sunroom, so so that when our guest arrived, um, we would hear a hello and a knock. And of course, being being mum, I had to pretend that I could see this guest and act super excited and be like, "Welcome to our house!" And the special guest was Jesus, right, coming to to eat with us. But um, he then came in. He sat at the table. Shyla, Shyla's looking at me like, 
like, <laughs> I don't know if we all know this, but there's no one sitting there, <laughs> you know. And of course, I'm, I'm sort of maintaining this real warm presence and I'm actually super excited to have this person with us. Um, that, that point, it was at the end of the night, the guest left and the point was that even though we don't see him invisible, we know him inside that it causes us to relate to the invisible God in such a warm, close way that, that we don't need to see him to believe him. We don't have to see him to love him. It's a, this, again, it's just a knowing in our hearts and that faith, faith is what makes Christ feel at home in our hearts. It's faith. It's the, the, the assurance of things we hoped for and the comfort, what is it? Com- yeah, the conviction of things hoped for. And, and it's, it's, my point is this. Christ, when, when by faith, he is home in us. When we make home in him, it means that our home is transient. It means we go where he goes. It means we are comfortable in the best possible way in him. We are safe in him we are secure as everything the home provides we find in him and so with whatever change comes in scenery whatever change comes in context or around us in our lives whatever's about to come for us as a body by finding home in Christ means that we are sojourners and we don't have a home on the earth we have home in Christ and that makes us able to move like the wind Father, I just want to thank you, God, that we can gather uh, in your name and in your presence and just in the unity of your spirit, in the bond of love. Um, and I just, I thank you for your family tonight. I thank you for you as the heavenly father. I thank you for the brethren. I thank you that um, communing together in your word, receiving you, receiving one another, is uh, is such is such a great joy. So I thank you for your word. Thank you for your son. I thank you for for making a way for us to to know this new life, this new life of uh, you as the complete source, bringing us into the reality of your son on the earth and forevermore. We bless you. We bless you, and we love you, Father. In Jesus' name, Amen. All right. Have a great week, everyone. See you soon. There is a sound I love to hear. It's the sound of the Savior's robe.